I just bought a Roomba. I just sit there and watch that thing, and I'm like, it literally is the opposite of you of programming the Lego robot or the logo robot. Yeah, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, you get to see how it moves around on the floor, and then figure out what ridiculous algorithm it's using. And that's how I feel about programming CSS. <laughs> Are you ready to start writing your tech story? Join an Ironhack bootcamp and learn the skills you need to pursue a meaningful career in tech. Visit ironhack.com slash write dash your dash story to find out more. Let's write your story. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow Good podcast. Morning. Good oh, morning. oh my God. Is this our cue? Yeah, I think it's time. It feels a bit like there's only one story in the air this morning, which yeah. is GameStop. A place I visited many times as a youngster. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, who doesn't love GameStop? You go to GameStop, you know, yeah. and it, or Electronics Boutique. I'm, I'm sure they're different in some way. And you get the latest console <laughs> you can play that out of it. Yeah, you give you them cash money and they give you a used PlayStation yeah. 2 CD-ROM. You can sell phones <laughs> Lightly there, scratched. too. <laughs> GameStop is what teaches adolescents yeah. about the economy. Yeah, that's true. You could go in there and be like, I... Played the heck out of these 10 games. Can I get one brand new game that I really yeah. want? Yeah. <laughs> Deal. Yeah, Deal. exactly. Let's do it. Here, you paid $130 for that, but you're about to get 48 cents on that, on that thermal printer yeah. receipt. Yeah, so that, that thermal printer receipt machine has been going real fast lately. The thermal printer machine goes brr. <laughs> yep. Exactly. There are lots of forces at work here, but I think the key ones are the cost of trading has gone to zero. And trading stocks has become well. We know. No, hold on, it still costs to trade. It's just yeah. That that's nice, co- but you don't need to know about it. <laughs> Someone else yeah. is covering the cost of of trading. Yes, yes. If you're not uh, paying for the product, you are the product. You that are is the true. product, and the product uh, is the whole freaking economy. <laughs> so it's easy to trade. It's really easy to buy a lot of stock. Yeah, in America. I've been telling you, just yeah. Ben was just reminding me. I've been telling everyone for months that this new iPhone game, Robinhood, is amazing. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. No, when you swipe, it, it's, it's like confetti. They're like, yeah! boom. <laughs> it's weird because there's a lot of in-app purchases, but somehow Apple doesn't get thirty percent. So they were able to re- they were able to make an amazing deal. Let's see what they did there. How come? How come you can buy stock on Robinhood and not pay thirty percent? Actually, to that Apple? was I was just wondering that when you brought that up. That's a great question. I mean, it's just a product like any other. Yeah. It's a marketplace. Just another example of how the rules get changed to take care of Wall Street. The price of a trade went to zero. Not really. You're, you're getting you know a slightly worse price because somebody else is looking at your order feed. And then they gamified it. They made it really fun and easy. Yeah. And they made these complex maneuvers that used to be sort of for other people like options trading and shorts and calls a swipe away. And then we let's bring in our old friend, the internet mob. Our do you old guys buddy, have, the wait, forum. Do you have Robinhood on your phones? <laughs> yes. Sarah, I'm I guessing do. you must. Yes. Yeah. I do. I have never traded a stock in my life. You know that? Do you know? Wow. It's really fun. Why I put not? in like I, I put in a little bit of money. I put in a little bit of money like a couple months ago. And I was like, if I double this, I can put in more money. And I did. And then I did. I like the <laughs> I mean, for me, I'm like, I put the money in this box here and then the compound interest is good. And that's that's like okay. I'm like, okay, because because all of my early experiences. Yeah, but do you feel alive? Does it make you I feel do. alive? I feel great. Actually. I feel wonderful <laughs> about it. I do check the number. I like to look at the number and be like, oh, it went up or oh, it went down. Well, that's normal. <laughs> the other thing too is that I was 
a friend of mine when I was uh, like 20 years ago advised me to go in on a on a stock and I got, like, got my Schwab account and I was like, oh, okay, how does this work? I'm like, I don't really understand this. And it feels feels weird. And that turned out to be like a bad insider trading scandal that I just had no... Like, <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I was like, you know what? You I really arrested. dodged a bullet. Yeah, yeah I dodged yeah. a bullet there that I didn't even know was a bullet. I didn't even know there were right. guns. And then, you know, you read about like Vanguard and you're like, maybe that, maybe I'll just do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see how that would, that would be sort of foundational for your perspective on it. I don't, I also, I don't like gambling. Like I actually oh. don't enjoy it. I'm like, I'm like, I have to learn. I tried to learn poker because I, I wanted to have friends and I'm yeah. just like, yeah. I have to learn the rules. And then I like made a spreadsheet and I'm like, oh, this is just statistically not in my favor. (laughs) So yeah, Robinhood plus Reddit turns out to be a magical formula. It has bankrupted large hedge funds. It is the new Occupy, it's Occupy Wall Street 2.0. Yeah. It is driving mainstream media and financial media up, totally up the wall. So it's been a fun 48 hours. It has. I think something that's interesting and kind of relevant is the Wall Street Bets Reddit got taken down for like an hour and a half. And it was it had a largely due to the fact that they were getting some abusive speech on their Discord, which the moderators say they were trying to limit, but it's really hard to do as a moderator. And so they had taken down the Wall Street Bets on Reddit because they just there's so much work as moderators. Because now like you have this really popular subreddit still the same moderator. So it's great for them, but you know, they probably have day jobs and it's probably not their full-time gig. <laughs> or I think it's definitely relevant. So there was definitely a call for help and a bunch of more people stepped up. I saw up. that. And they locked, yeah, they locked the Reddit. And uh, when this morning I woke up and people were crying foul and conspiracy and somebody said, no, it's just a flood of new users, a lot of spam, people who don't know the rules. Like they had to just take a cooling off period. This is actually, this happens every once in a while when a Reddit goes, you know, kind of goes, goes vertical. But yeah, I do think like some of it is that in the past, if you wanted to run a pump and dump scheme, if you wanted to really drive up the price of stock, you had to get a bunch of people together in a boiler room and get people on the phones and call people in different states and tell them, oh, I got a hot stock tip. And now all that activity is happening in an internet forum and on a Discord channel in real time, you know, like memed up the wazoo, like get on board. This rocket ship is headed to the moon, boys. And like that has created a dynamic that can keep up with a multi-billion dollar hedge fund. It's amazing. To me, it's this combination. So first of all, we live in a society that is now dictated by shit posting. Sorry if I just blew our <laughs> yeah. but for real. Like so now we're letting shit posting run the economy, right? And it's right. just but what I, I think is interesting here and where like the media used to have used to do this, used to be like, here's how it works and you should understand and short selling and blah, blah, blah. And, and you would sort of learn about this stuff as you went. And it feels like just the economy is bananas and you really only hear about things when everything is imploding or Bitcoin goes to $80 million. And what they did is create a media event around really normal stock transactions that are a little outside the pale, like many stock transactions are. And then, <laughs> and suddenly everybody knows what short selling is and is actually allowed to have an opinion on it. Right. And that it's a, it's a power differential. The, the thing is, is like, you know, there are no good guys or bad guys in this. Like it's all kind of greedy people <laughs> just, or people who want to punish head fund or whatever. It's just kind of a mess, but it's a, it's a very educational mess brought to us by the lack of good moderation on our public platforms. It's true. There kind of isn't a good guy or a bad guy, right? Because, However, I think it feels good for people. I've seen a lot of sentiment online, and maybe this is 
going off on an unrelated tangent, I've seen a lot of sentiment of resentment of what happened in the 2008 bailouts in the U.S. and uh, oh, people it's being gross. like, yeah, of people being like, okay, your hedge fund, you're doing poorly. Someone's going to come bail you out because this is well. This what is we my do. this is always my thing about blockchain too, right? And, and Bitcoin, which is like, even though it's worth a trillion dollars now, it's kind of like it's not a trillion dollars necessarily in the everyday economy. Yeah, this one, it it just kind of lives off on its own, and and it maybe it's real money, maybe it's not. If everybody went to cash out, it would probably be worth something different. You're the one that's and ruining all it all by just, saying it's not real money. We need everyone to say it's real money. It's real money. It's real money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Or, other, or otherwise, Sarah can't retire. <laughs> yeah. like uh, <laughs> no, and I mean, I mean, you could also make the same argument about my really boring index fund. That some of that represents real value, but who knows? I don't know. I bought a number. Yeah. And they gave me a you know. So no, I I think that like this is a funny one because it does touch on the real economy. It does have real impact on. GameStop and companies like that who are expected to perform in the market as public companies in a specific way, but but not really. Like it's not, it's only kind of tangentially about them. It's just people, they're playing in public and they're kind of saying the quiet part loud. It's an interesting dynamic. And I think, you know, we can bring it back to our world, right? Which is just that all of these systems are now so connected. Literally, this is just APIs. This is what APIs get you. Oh right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's just like, hey, get on Ro- Robinhood. It's just hitting that web API. You know, like everything is cheap and fast and people can get onboarded for free. We've created a culture with no moderation. There's like literally in every meaning of that word, right? There's just no mods. The mods are asleep in America. Yeah. <laughs> the mods are asleep in America, but the people are right now, the people are winning. The little guy, the little guy is winning. So We'll come back to this in a week and see how it all shakes out. I think there's going to be a lot more. See, I know the hedge fund hedge fund dudes will be fine. Citadel will be Yeah. What, what worries me, actually, Chris Saka had a good point. He's like, just, just be, watch out for debt. I don't, you know, have fun. Yeah, have that's a the big time. one. Because a lot of, the, a lot of this, this isn't, but margin trading is something that Robinhood will allow you to do. And there's been a lot of people that lost a lot of money that way. That's dangerous. Yeah. That's gambler yeah. mentality stuff. And, and you're, if you don't know what you're doing, you're kind of a regular human chowderhead reading a message board where everybody's getting rich. It's real easy to smash that buy button and then poof. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's out of the box. Congratulations <laughs> to Pandora. You won again. Sarah, you had suggested a topic which I thought was pretty interesting. I thought we could circle back to it after this. You were saying why don't we discuss a little bit about CSS and all of the awful stuff that we don't have to do anymore, all the less stuff that it made less awful for developers to do as they work. You were at the history page, right? W3.org, a brief history of CSS. This is this happens to me probably once a month. The most coding I do is like CSS anymore. I really dislike it. So about once a month I go deep on like, who can I blame for this? <laughs> so there's like a history of CSS page, which we've talked about before, how it's largely happened in an email group uh, with a bunch of people iterating together, designed by committee. But that being said, there's been a lot of tools that have been built to make it a little less painful for developers. This weekend, I was specifically using one called uh, AvoCode. It is generally, so XD files, I don't know, maybe someone can write in and, and tell me what happened, but designers used to send me PSDs and now they send me XDs. Oh, that no, I know. You that know what is happened, a, okay. It's an Adobe yeah, it's Adobe, uh, what, what is it, Adobe XD experience yeah. design or something like that. So they broke out the like UX and the design experience into something else. And Photoshop is now just for like making Kim Kardashian look 
skinny. Yeah, I think that's right. No, I mean, we, you know, there's always 5 million Adobe products, but XD was their answer to like the Envision and the, you know, Figma and sort of all the web prototyping tools and the UI UX prototyping tools. I don't know why it's called. I think it's like capital X, lowercase D. So God knows, I'm guessing experience design. I like Um, that. Yeah, that's probably it. But no, I mean, it's one of those, you know, when you're in meetings and somebody brings something up and there's a little glowing thing uh, and it, you know, they move from page to page, but it's just designers not just designers, but you know what I mean? Like there's no engineers involved. That's one of these prototyping tools like XD. And yeah, it can dump, the prototyping tools increasingly can dump CSS, they can dump colors, they can dump grids and, and all kinds of data and that then can be brought over to build the app itself. Yeah, that's what I appreciated. This this Avocode tool will take an XD file and give you suggested CSS, which was really helpful for me as I was coding and then, of course, I was using Flexbox, which is a great experience and makes for a lot easier CSS and responsiveness. So that's a lot better for me as a developer who tends to clunk around in these things. And then, of course, using CSS with variables and sassy for some easier CSS with inheritance and different things like that. Which is nice. So wait, so wait, you're telling us that you don't hate CSS anymore? No, I'm. T- well, I'm telling you that I'm really grateful for the tools that help me make it easier. CSS is tough. Like the syntax is tough. The rules are tough. It's hard to figure out how it all maps together. And it, it's, but we've accepted it into our hearts because it works. And then it's like, yeah, we use the computer to make it so that you can find out what the computer is doing so you can make the computer do things. And it's just, you're doing too much work, Sarah. It's not fair. Why doesn't the computer do all this for you? Yeah, yeah well, things like SAS make it like almost stomach, like stomachable because, you know, it kind of feels a little bit more like programming. But in the end, it's still CSS. There are real variables in CSS proper now. I yeah. Think. I think we're getting there. Yeah. I have heard that. I have I have not used them yet, but I have heard that. Boy, do I feel caught doing any kind of modern web dev, right? Because it's like the JavaScript just took over and the platform, like Visual Studio has everything and it does everything and, and you can do anything with the modern JavaScript platform, HTML feels like an afterthought these days. It's like a way to get boxes on a screen. And then CSS is over there and it's declarative, but it also now has variables. And and it's just like, it's just really hard to wrap your head around any one part of it where it actually, it did used to fit together a lot better. And now, uh, now it's because it's, there's stress between the JavaScript folks and the CSS folks and what should use when. And uh, I hate that we're actually hashing this out in public as a community, rather than like there being a good, simple, clear standard that people can follow. I'm glad that you're enjoying CSS, Sarah, but when I listen to you, I just feel like, why are we using Sarah's time that way? Why are we, that's not a good use of Sarah's time. Yeah, everyone, a lot of people talks about doing, uh, doing your CSS in on, on the back end and delivering it that way and delivering HTML that way. And it doesn't make it easier putting it in JavaScript. It's still CSS. You can't get, you can't get around it, but it, you can put it at other places. It's still CSS. Speaking of CSS, this this mentions Opera. And I just wanted to shout out Opera. I don't know if other browsers are now starting to have this, but do you know that they have like a built-in VPN on there and you can just toggle something? And then every time you open up like a fresh window, you're just in a, in a new part of the world. You're protected oh, that's nice. that way. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Let's give it to Opera for surviving. That yeah. is not easy to do. That is not, not easy, easy to exactly. do. Netscape couldn't do it. Although I will yeah. say early days of the web... You'd get that. You'd, you'd like, hey, I, I put up a new version of the website 
and the text shouldn't go all over the place anymore. And it'd be like a week would go by and you'd get that email and be like, hi, I don't know if this is a priority for you, but your site is trash on opera. And be like, uh. And then, cause like, and then you'd have to go, you know, and it would be like opera for a symbian, but it would be five years old because opera, opera users were passionate. Yeah. Opera users were like, they were smashing the browser hegemony. Then now I think it uses WebKit. Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> as do we all. You know, I have another podcast. I have my work podcast. And yeah. We interviewed Matt Mullenweg. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He's the founder of WordPress. Yep. And he was like, look, I think a one rendering engine future would be better. God. WebKit should just be allowed to win. I agree. I don't know why we've been doing this for so long. This is the dumbest thing. Like, even if you lose some performance, like, even if you lose some performance because you could have thought of this other thing that would have been better than WebKit, now you're doing all these different things for all these different browsers. Well, I think, you know, the, the argument that two rendering engines open sourced leads to a more free web and that you've got Mozilla in there kind of like really keeping the fire lit for open accessible access. There's look, there's truth to that. Mm, like obviously mm, mm. that's yeah, there's yeah, yeah. Firefox existing and Mozilla existing and um in the way that they do has been good. I'm using Firefox every day. So at least as that that one data point, right? Like there's validity to the effort. But the I think the argument is just like we're spending an enormous amount of energy on something that will only change in very small incremental ways going forward. And then you know, probably the core of the the web experience is going to start migrating more towards like WebAssembly, where you can run anything really fast, as opposed to needing to to build whole new functionality into the browser. Like, I, I don't know if we're going to need the next Web USB to be. There's so many things like that that are kind of a mess that really don't aren't really part of an open web. And it's not just not user friendly for people, and most people don't understand. You know what I mean? Like if you don't do it and you're like, why does this website look like this? And then like garbage in this other browser, I don't understand. I'm still not. I mean, I think that at this point, the differences are so small and I'm, I'm still not totally sold on this idea, but it it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. Like yeah. if one day there was an agreement that I guess what you would need for it to happen is for Firefox to bring Chromium WebKit or Blink into, into its world. Oof, that'd be a painful one for them, I think. So there's that too. It's not easy. Sarah, you shared an interesting story here, which touches on something we've discussed many times on this podcast, which is the burden of doing an open source project and dealing with its popularity, its contributors, its community. So the title of this is Open Source, Not Open Contribution. You want to walk us through this a little bit? Yeah, I thought this is really interesting. It looks like this isn't the first project to do this. They mentioned, uh, I think they mentioned SQLite as another one. But so this is a project we're looking at called Lightstream. It does streaming S3 replication for SQLite. Those are words. So you take those words, you put them together. It means streaming something. S3 replication for SQLite. Okay. Yes. So it, it, it lets you take your SQLite databases and copy them as blob, binary blobs to S3 in Amazon's cloud, the object store. Yes. Uh, streaming. Does it streaming? No, yeah. you don't just, poof, there it goes. Okay. Cool. There's, I can think of a lot of uses for that. That's probably pretty useful to, to a bunch of people. Absolutely my number one use case for anything. I can't even send an email without using streaming replication S3 from a SQL. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Paul sends some, very, he has, his email set up is yeah. really wild. Yeah. It's about keeping it simple. <laughs> keeping it simple. <laughs> so people like encryption, Paul likes. You know, just having a SQLite database that he writes to. And you know what is interesting, just to derail for a sec, and this doesn't come up a lot, but S3 and a lot of object stores and good good web servers are all uh, are byte addressable. 
you don't actually have to go get the whole file. You can get what? I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I feel that this is oh, I've got secret knowledge. I'm excited. <laughs> um, no, you can in the header you can request a specific byte range. That's part of the standard. Yeah, not everybody supports it. S3 supports it. So on the really Why? enormous files. So you know where I did this? I was I was trying to make a little index and browser of in, uh, Internet Archive. This is not S3, but the Internet Archive, archive.org, supports byte addressable binaries. So you can you can just pull a little tiny bit of something. So it turns out that in PDFs, so I wanted to figure out the number of pages in the books in certain files in the yep. archive. Okay. But their metadata isn't always accurate for complicated reasons. Or it's not that it's inaccurate, it's it's inconsistent based on my needs. It has lots yep. of other stuff going on. So I needed to get an accurate number of pages in the PDF. It turns out that that is embedded in the PDF at the end of the file in like this little block. Ooh. It's like eight bytes. You can get eight bytes or, or something like that and it'll tell you how many pages are in that PDF. So I wrote a That's little uh, tool that would you give it a PDF in the Internet Archive, and it would go get just those bytes, and so it was, it'd be like a like a like eight hundred megabyte file, but I'd be able in about a, a tenth of a second to get the the pagination out of it by hitting the just just the right. So you byte. didn't have to like I'd pull the to, whole file, and yeah, that's great. No, you would get the file length, and then I would calculate the offset back from the end of the length, and say just give me those bytes, and it would give me accurate pagination. Wow, that is very cool. That's good to know. Anyway, just just a fun fact for everybody. You don't have to get that whole file. Yeah, you don't have right? to get that whole file. Yeah. That's really yeah, nice. <laughs> teeny tiny bit. I never would have right. known. I'm just saying. So this, I mean, when you tell when you tell me about streaming your application to S3, I'm like, oh well, that makes sense because you can you actually can like you can do anything with S3 if you know the byte offsets. All right. So wait, you were saying I derailed with my with yeah. My, so this project, so definitely a cool project. Ben B. Johnson, it looks like, is the creator. Did I get that right? He's a, definitely the last committer. Um, okay. Yeah, I and think so. So I think this is really interesting. So I'm just going to read this. This paragraph is a little bit long, but I think this is really relevant to a lot of things that we've kind of discussed here. So he says his last paragraph in his readme is open source, not open contribution. He says similar to SQLite. LifeScream is an open source, but closed to contributions. This keeps the code base free of proprietary or licensed code, but it also helps me to continue to maintain and build LifeStream. As offer of BoltDB, which I guess is another project that he worked on, I found that accepting and maintaining third-party patches contributed to my burnout, and I eventually archived the project. Writing databases and low-level replication tools involves nuance and simple one-line changes can have a profound and unexpected changes in correctness and performance. Small contributions typically required hours of my time to properly test and validate them. I am grateful for community involvement, bug reports, and feature requests. I do not wish to come off as anything but welcoming. However, I've made the decision to keep this project closed to contributions for my own mental health and long-term viability of the project. I think that's so interesting. Good for him. Yeah. Right? Like he gets to set the rules. That's okay. We're gonna we're gonna work we're gonna work with it. He's given away his free thing. He wants to hear what people are doing with it, and then he's gonna fix it or not. And that's yeah. kind of yeah. it's open. You can fork it if you want to. Like everybody's following the social contract pretty well here. Yeah, it's very clear communication. And I think he communicated this in a way, which was, you know, he talks about how grateful he is. And he's not like, listen, you you bunch of jerks. I don't want to hear from you. He's, he was very thoughtful about how he communicated this. And I think it came across very well. And none of us have the right to, the, the right, the pull request is not a right. It's a privilege. You know, the other thing too, is just like, 
This is infrastructural code. I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm on the live stream. It's L-I-T-E stream GitHub repo looking at this. And it's like, you're not putting in a pull request with a little tiny plugin or, or something like that. This is kind of a low level piece of Go code that, that runs and connects to SQLite and does some kind of dry stuff. So it's, and it's, it's all about SQLite is incredibly well tested. It's like just unbelievable. It's, it's famous for it. It's just enormous, countless tests for every new feature. And that means that it's not a light or simple thing to add to it, but it's really easy to write code on top of it or write your own sort of C module, et cetera. So, you know, to me, listening to you read that, there's a person named Simon Willison who has a project I love called Dataset, which is another SQLite ecosystem thing. Is it the one with E-T-T-E, Dataset? Yeah, D-A-T-A-S-E-T-T-E. And if you run Dataset, on the command line with the name of SQLite database, it will give you a really full-featured REST API mm, that's great. Uh, out of the box, as well as browsing tools online. So you can explore and play and do really complicated queries across a data set. So it's great for data journalists and folks like that. And I mean, I, you know, Simon would accept requests for the, the core repo. He's not probably at this point, but he built a plugin architecture so that all of the changes can happen over to the side. It makes it very, very rapid. But there's a, a concept of core and a concept of plugin that I think is really cool. It's really healthy with these, right? Because you're like, okay, this is the core API. It's going to be, and the core API in this case is like, it can issue requests to SQLite and it can get data out and it can do all that stuff. And then there, you know, that's the concept of hooks and and sort of ways to to sort of know where you are in the life cycle of a request. And the plugin can talk to that and intercept requests and do things with the data that comes out. And that is you know, thinking of building a server that way, that just strikes me as like really healthy. I'm gonna yeah. keep the core really tight. And then you guys go bananas, have a good time. Right? Just yeah. build whatever you want. That's so nice. It's always nice to see a plugin architecture that works out and is useful. I think that's great. I think it's hard to be that thoughtful early in a project. And sometimes even when you are, people don't use that plugin architecture. But seeing someone that was really thoughtful that uh, that people are making use of it, that's great. Simon was a core contributor on um, Django. Mm-hmm. He's co-creator. Yeah. This is someone who is a first-class thinker for, for you know a decade plus about these kind of architectures for building and making things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's not light, right? Like if you told, if you're like, Paul, make a plugin architecture. Like I'm like, <laughs> but the actual, like de- deciding what's core and then what you're going to build on top of isn't actually, it's a very subtle problem, right? Like it's, it's what object oriented programming is kind of supposed to be all about. And it's hard as hell. I think one of the things that you two have talked about a lot is that there are things you might come up with at like a legal contractual level for open source. You know, can you use this if you're a private company? Paul, you once joked like, you can use this as long as you're not a billion dollar company or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the vocabulary of it is also really important. Like in the comments here, people are saying, you know, I've had to pull stuff off of GitHub because there's just too many pull requests. Some people are making bots that just say, sorry, I'm not accepting PRs at this time. And, you know, GitHub obviously wants to remain open and, you know, you want to be able to say this is open source or not. So coming up with new vocabulary, like open source, not open contribution and putting it out into the ecosystem so people can discuss it and say like, is this acceptable behavior or not actually helps you to build those like new modalities, right? You know, what's wild too is so A, yes, but B, how many of these come down to someone saying, this is bad for my mental health, so I'm going to do <laughs> yeah. this instead. Oh, yeah, that's kind of sad, or not even kind of sad. It's a bit sad. Well, I, th- I think it's just kind of 
We don't have, we have a reactive framework around the health of contributors rather than a proactive one. And this is maybe not anybody's fault, but just like GitHub doesn't worry about your mental health when you issue that, when you do that first push into the, into the repo, right? Like there's no like, Hey, are you sure you can handle it? <laughs> there's no, there's no dialogue box like that. Like, like play with it for a second. What, what would a mental health driven workflow look like? Wow, that would be wild. I think it would be really different based on the individual. Yeah. You know, like when you go on Steam and it's like, Sarah, you've played 400 hours of RimWorld. Would you like to recommend it to a friend? It's supposed to say, Sarah, you've played 400 hours of RimWorld. How about a break from video games for a little while? Go talk to a friend. So yeah, I would say like, you made this popular new project and got a thousand pull requests this week. But let, let, 14 let, let people. Let somebody else yeah. think about that for a yeah, while. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, what if Octocat, Ben, what if Octocat? pops up and is like, you've been turning a lot of tiles green, buddy, but I think you might be hurting yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but your kids are lonely. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's always what happens. Like uh, this thing that I loved that, you know, zillions of people use that now supports the work of trillion dollar companies is right. ruining my relationship with my children. Like that is that it's very perverse, right? That you even have to hear that. Like we should be, if open source as a culture was really thriving, it would be really, I think it would be working a lot harder upstream. This is a way to really think through some of the diversity inclusion stuff in open source, which I think is a really healthy way to be like upstream, who gets to contribute? Why aren't there more women in these communities? So on and so forth. Like, yeah. how do we get them in? Because they're cut out. And then there is also the question of like, if you're going to do this and contribute to this community, the community doesn't have good tools for taking care of you in return. Right? Yeah. So you've like... How do you create that? And it's not just money. It's a sort of emotional aspect to it. Because I'll tell you, I've had a few things where like a lot of people got involved early and it makes your mind break. It makes your brain melt. Yeah. Because you're just like, what am I going to do with all of you? And it's not yeah. like nerds know how to ask. They're just like, ah, pull requests. Have you thought and about this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, until you become the ass and, and sort of become a real pain which is sort of kind of the upshot of this, it really is hard to say no to a pull request or, or a feature request. Like you feel very obligated. Like, I guess that's how it works. Yeah. Can you imagine it? God, do you know how many people, how confusing it must be to explain open source to a therapist? <laughs> I, oh, I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, I think I've so done wait. that more than once, actually. So wait a minute, Sarah. You're, you're telling me that you, they give the code away <laughs> but then people punish and then they them yell for at it. you. You're saying they yell at you, and yeah, explaining to the therapist open source, and then they're like, "It does. It sounds like a. It sounds like a kink. Doesn't yeah. sound healthy." All right, everybody, it's that time of the episode. We're going to shout out a lifeboat badge winner, somebody who helped rescue a question and get it up to a score of twenty or more. Today's award goes to Quinn. Replace string in a file using regular expressions. Thanks, Quinn. Cool. Good job, Quinn. You did it. Yep. You did it. I got something for the show notes. I'm going to drop it in general just so people know to go listen to it. It's uh, Windows Sound Effects Performed Acapella. Mm, yes. No. I can't relaxing. decide how I feel about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's both a little traumatizing and also just yeah. the sweetest thing in the world. Got it. Okay. Okay. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper or email us podcast at stackoverflow.com. Uh, and I'm Sarah Chips, uh, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub. And I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow, co-founder of a software company called Postlight and 
wow, are we hiring front end, back end, mostly around web technologies. All the ends. Um, all of them. At each end. Yes. Uh, yeah. Come on in. <laughs> please apply. And we, we would love to hear from you.